Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV, captivating appearance with state-of-the-art design. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Well, they say variety is a spice of life and a bit of variety coming your way here on Sports Day WA on this uh, Tuesday. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks, Hayes and Mardo, for the run home. Uh, the duo back tomorrow between three and five. We're here for Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Peter Vlahos with you. Great to have you on board and you can text us anytime on 0487 736 736. And as we had a couple of calls last night, the Scarborough Toyota Osmond Park open line there for you, 13 12 55. Love to hear from our Sports Day WA listeners, wherever you may be listening around this great state of ours. Cricket, well, it came and went very quickly today, certainly down at the Wacker, uh, a big win for New South Wales over WA. And as we mentioned, and as the boys have commented on the run home, a comprehensive victory by uh, Australia over the West Indies uh, in the game that was played today. The West Indies just struggling uh, really to get going today and dismiss for that paltry score that they the boys mentioned. Now, coming up on the program today... Uh, we're going to speak to Glenn Quartermain, uh, who's a very senior football and sports writer with the West Australian. He wrote a very interesting article this morning about the AFL mid-season trade, and he'll confirm when I speak to him that it will come into vogue next year in 2025. And we can draw the scenario where, you know, loyalty, and everybody has always preached for playing for the jumper and being loyal and being a one uh club player, well, that's all going to go out the window. It's going out the window now. We've seen the rotation of players from club to club uh, chasing better uh, financial rewards, chasing better opportunities, which you don't begrudge AFL professional footballers these days. But the other scenario next year, when they have the AFL mid-season trade, there could be the scenario where a West Coast Eagles player could be playing for the Eagles one week and maybe the Fremantle Dockers the following week, or vice versa. So we're going to explore that, and it's going to be a very interesting scenario. We know that the AFL fixturing is very compromised because of the way it's structured at the moment. It's a nightmare to try and put a fixture together year in, year out because of 18 teams and not everybody playing each other twice. And we need to keep the show down, and we need to keep... The Derbies, a couple of those here in Western Australia, a couple in South Australia. We need to keep the Anzac Day match and, and all those sort of blockbuster matches, yet try and keep the fixtures as fair as possible. And the mid-season draft may allow, at the halfway stage of the year, for stronger sides to assess what is required for them to maybe make a late charge for a finals position or even the premiership. That is mid-season clubs that think to themselves, well, we've got no chance of maybe partaking in the finals. We need to look to the next season. So maybe we need to offload a couple of our real experienced players to one of the higher-ranked clubs that may need that sort of player 
to give themselves a better chance of going deep into finals campaign and maybe even play in the final game of the season. And in return, we can bank a couple of draft picks for next year. It's going to be a very interesting scenario come the middle of next year because it will come into vogue. I'd like to get your thoughts on it as well. 0487 736 736. Hypothetically, Jack Darling plays for the West Coast Eagles next year and the Eagles think they've probably got most out of him. The Fremantle Dockers are down with relation to goal kickers and all of a sudden the Dockers and the Eagles make an arrangement on Jack Darling. He plays for the Eagles one week, the Dockers the final next week and plays at full forward for the Fremantle Dockers. So what would you think about that? Would it work in this two-team town? Because it's a distinct possibility. And as I said in a moment, I'll be speaking to Glenn Quartermain about that. Also in the program today, I'll speak to Mick Collis because the Super Rugby competition is due to start on the 23rd of February. And there's a huge problem with a couple of the teams, particularly the Melbourne Rebels, who reportedly have debts of up to $20 million. So how can they get go into this Super Rugby season with that scenario? Will they survive this year? Are they gone? And what is the fallout in relation to the Melbourne Rebels? Also, the ACT Brumbies, one of the most successful teams in the history of Super Rugby, also have got some issues. And we'll find out the latest on the Western Force as well. That's from Mick Collis. And we've got also uh, a preview to uh, the Perth Motorplex and Speedway action that's happening, of course, uh, in a few days' time. So, as you can see, plenty coming up. But firstly, uh, thanks to... Tire Power, and you can visit your local Tire Power store today for a free tire safety inspection. There are over 50 stores across WA. Glenn Quartermain, the leading and senior football writer and sports writer for the West Australian, joins us on the program. Glenn, thanks for your time. My pleasure, Pete. The ever evolving AFL landscape. You wrote something in the West today, very interesting. And as of next year, 2025, the landscape could evolve even more. Tell us more. Well, I would consider it a lock for next year. It was actually a possibility to get up this year, but too much fine detail to work through. But you can you can mark it in that there will be an AFL trade period uh, in 2025, um, uh, around about June, July, which is going to change uh, the narrative of a season, I believe, um, and will just change the way uh, this managers operate. And uh, having said that, I think... I'm not expecting, you know, 20, 30 trades to be done mid-season. I think it'll be lower, much, much lower than that. But it's going to create a very interesting environment in which, you know, um, and we're not talking about, you know, AFL mid-season drafts where rookies can go under this. We're talking about uh, established players, often stars, you know, some coming to the end of their careers um, who can change clubs mid-season, uh, perhaps going to a club in the, in the top four uh, angling for a premiership, or they can be players who are struggling to, you know, there, there might be five of their type at a club and they're struggling to get a season game and all of a sudden they find themselves at a club where they're valued. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it works. Of course, within that, there's going to have to be a lot of fine detail, no doubt. For example, you know, the already compromised fixture, how is that affected in the second half of the season? If a if top 
four team is suddenly bolstered? What does that mean to the other three teams? And, and moreover, you know, what happens to the fixturing? You know, what, and of course, um, players that come to the lower end of the ladder. So generally speaking, um, you know, gun players don't don't get traded to uh, lower end clubs, do they? They get they get traded to teams at the top end of the ladder uh, in the Premiership window. So, what does that all mean? How do they work through it? What do they do? Re salary caps. If it pushes a club over a salary cap for that particular season, does that then, is there some sort of um, uh, room for them to move and is that carried over into the total player payments for the next year or the year after? How does that work? So much to work through. But I can tell you in principle, clubs on balance support this move. Certainly player managers are all over it. They love this idea. Anything that equates to more player movement and players, obviously the AFL Players Association, is keen on the idea, and I dare I say, Pete, you and I in the media, it makes for great, uh, great news stories yeah, for us. It very much does. Uh, you're just crackling a bit, but we'll persevere with it with your headphones, uh, Glenn. And we got the gist of what you had to say. Saying that, the days of the one club player are very much gone. Now you'd think with this latest move that will come into place next year. Yeah, look, there'll be one or two who will seep through, but look. I think traditionalists will balk at this and say we don't like it, you know. But, I mean, those days really died in 1987, you know, when the Eagles joined the competition. And I don't mean it as a death and as in a bad thing. I think it was great for the competition. It had to evolve. And in 1990, when it went to the AFL, it hasn't really been the same competition. So I think change is good. Uh, Not all change is good, but I think this is inevitable. It's been coming for a couple of years now and it is going to happen. Um, yes, it will be very rare. I think one club players will become much more of a rare beast. Uh, I think they're rarer now than they were 20 years ago, that's for sure. And so some of the romance, I guess, uh, will be diluted from the AFL. But on the other hand, how exciting if you're a mid-table player, you're, you're a supporter of a mid-table club and, um, you know, you, you, you might for example, trade out a 32-year-old who is nearing the end of his career but he's going to help a club in the premiership window and you might get a first-rounder. So it sort of builds a bit of excitement in that regard, I think, and it helps clubs. I think it can be a win-win for clubs. I mean, they will have to address, you know, whether it makes it an even more top-heavy competition in terms of the rich getting richer. They'll have to address that somehow. But I think it can be a win-win for clubs if they're well-managed, and that's the key, if they're well-managed. And if they're not, then bad luck. Could be interesting also from a local perspective. Imagine playing for the Eagles one week and the Dockers the following week uh, if this comes into play, as you've predicted, in 2025. Because that that is a real possibility. Of course. So just imagine, and I'm only using this as an example, so please, Eagles supporters, don't ring up and bash me. But just say, for example, Fremantle, needs another key forward second half of the season. They're angling for, for, for uh, finals. And Jack Darling at 32, 33 becomes available all of a sudden. I mean, he just might bolster that forward line and get them over the line. So there's just one example of many possibilities that um, will open up when this becomes a reality in 2025. Now, it's amazing, really. It's already, uh, as we mentioned earlier, very compromised uh, draw, the AFL. Probably the most compromised fixtures in any professional sport around the world. Is it the right fit? I think they've looked into the American basket again and pulled this out. Now, you're in favour it, and there's a lot of pros and cons with it, but I think deep down inside, does the player need to give the permission to maybe move on for a better opportunity? And could some players be blindsided by this? 
Well, some might sign to waive their rights. Some might. I think what could possibly happen is that it will be inbuilt into stand, into player contracts. So you, there might be a 10% loading, for example. Uh, I might be presented with a $600,000 contract if I sign away my rights. So I can say, yes, if you want to trade me mid-season, I'm open to it. Or if, if I don't agree with that, perhaps my contract is 500000 There might be, a, for example, a 10% loading on there. I mean, I'm only throwing that into the air, but these are the possibilities. I think that will definitely um, come into play. So as you can see, there's, there's many complexities to this that they'll have to work through, which is why it didn't get up this year too soon, but it's definitely getting up next year, I can tell you that. And also, it will release, if there is pressure on clubs with salary caps, that also could be the release valve for clubs mid-season as they prepare for the draft later in the year. No question. We're seeing salary cap dumping already. It's been going on for a couple of years now. Um, so I guess this will formalise it in a way, really. Um, it's been... I haven't really enjoyed liked it much, I've got to be honest, Pete, so far, but I think as we evolve and we formalise these situations, it will probably be more palatable. Um, you mentioned before the fixturing and how it is compromised. I mean, it must be the most difficult fixture in the world to um, adjudicate. I, I really feel sorry for the fixture boss. Yeah, Travis Old had it in the past and he's moved on now. Um, I think we're moving closer and closer and, again, people will whack me for the Americanisation of the competition. But, hey, salary cap draft, I mean, where are we going there if we're not there already? I still believe that there'll be a 20th team introduced down the track um, and that there'll be, um, they'll have a real good look at two conferences um, um, and a final series at the end of that, a couple of final series, like a playoff even, yeah. um, which could even be played over a series of uh, three to five games, um, which, again, Peter, would uh, alleviate uh, would address, I should say, the argument of the game being played at the MCG. You'd be able to get the opportunities to play elsewhere. That is another argument altogether, but this is where we're moving, and we're moving pretty fast. Yeah, and I think uh, it'll happen. I agree with you. The conference situation will happen because I think the NRL will get to 20 teams because the TV rights deal is just around the corner for them. They'll get to the yep. 20 teams before the AFL, and as we know, I think the AFL will not want to give the NRL maybe an advantage in relation to that sort of uh, fixturing and appeal. So I think both yeah, of our football... Question, I think both of our football codes is, who, will go who that way. The next, who gets the next licence? Is it PNG or Perth? I think PNG will get uh, 18, and I think uh, they'll get to 20, and Perth will get either 19 or 20. That's the way I'm uh, seeing it and what I'm hearing. Unfortunately... Unfortunately, I don't think you can call it a national competition when you don't have Perth and you have a team from PNG and a team from New Zealand. However, uh, I think you're right. I think there's security um, issues there in terms of what Anthony Albanese wants to wants to do with PNG, and um, he wants to pump a lot of money into a team there. So it's pretty hard for the NRL to knock that back. But that's another argument. Finally, quarters 19th and 20th team as we're sort of speculating about what could come uh, around the corner. Where would the AFL position team 19 and 20 in your eyes? Well, um, I think um, I think you've got to look at the Northern Territory. Now, there are issues there in terms of um, seasons and, you know, conditions. And we've seen games played in the up north where the ball... I mean, players complain about the ball drop uh, with the, uh, very greasy conditions. But I think... 
um, provided you get a big corporate backer, maybe a mining company, mm. um, that's that's the difficulty there. They've done case studies and it hasn't worked out so far up in uh, the Northern Territory, but I think it, it seems pretty logical as opposed to... I mean, there's always the argument of a third team in, in WA, perhaps based in the Northern Corridor, uh, where you could look at that Joondalup area. I'm not sure. Um, I've written about this in the past. There are great arguments for and against. Um, there's a case to mount, put it that way. There's a case to mount in South Australia similarly. Uh, obviously, the Victoria is out of the equation. Already got 10 teams. And I think New South Wales and um, Queensland are right as they are. Yeah. Um, Tasmania's coming in, of course. So I would think NT for me. And then um, that makes the most sense. I think they deserve a team. And look at the riches that have sprung from the Northern Territory into the into the flowed into the AFL. It's yeah. been a great watch, hasn't it? Yep, Tasmania and the Northern Territory really completes the Australian landscape. Thanks for joining us, Quarters. Always lovely to have a chat to you. And well written this morning. It was a very, very interesting reading in the West Australian about what's going to happen in the AFL in 2025. Thanks for your time. Uh, my pleasure, Pete. Good on you, Glenn Quartermain from the West Australian. Your thoughts on that? Apologies for the lines. Just a bit of crackling on that, but we got the gist of what quarters had to say. Uh, you can join us on the text machine, 0487 736 736. Uh, that is the text line. I'd like to get your feedback on what we discussed regarding the mid-season uh, AFL draft that will come into vogue, according to quarters, almost certainly in 2025. We'll take a break, come back with more in a moment. We're here for Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years, ahead of what's going to be a scorcher of a week. Uh, they're forecasting the next seven days with maximum over 36 degrees and half of those in the 40s as well. So wherever you are listening around this great state of ours, uh, try and stay cool it's going to be a heck of a heat wave. It's 17 past five here on SEN. Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV. Captivate appearance with state-of-the-art design. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, welcome back to Sports Day WA. And here's just a quick community update thanks to Firecoat. Be alert and prepared this bushfire season ahead of another incredible heat wave uh, that we're sort of gearing up for. It all starts tomorrow with a 36-degree day. Stay up to date on all bushfire warnings online with the Department of Fire and Emergency Services. Visit dfes.wa.gov.au. And this community update is thanks to new Firecoat. The first paint proven to protect property in high-risk fire conditions, and it's available at Bunnings Warehouse. Just for Nutrient Ag Solutions, going further for Australian farmers, something very interesting today. Uh, they, they're all working, this is this committee, for the WA Italian Team of the Century. That's right, the WA Italian Team of the Century, supported by the West Australian Football Commission and all the WAFL clubs and the West Australian Football League. And today, from 157 nominees, it's been whittled down to 50. And the final list of 23 of Western Australia's greatest players with Italian heritage over the past 100 years will be revealed at a gala event here at Optus Stadium in May. And some of the names 
for the WA Italian team of the century finalists. There's 50, but I'll just whip through a few. Uh, back in the good old days, Gordon Mafina, uh, Michael Mitchell, which is interesting, Italian heritage, Daryl Panizza, Dominic Cassisi, Michael Colicker, uh, Gary Gibellini, Sam Menangola, Mario Turco, Lucio Baroni, Carl Fragamini, those couple from East Perth, Steve Derui, also from East Perth, and Gary Malarkey, who, of course, played at East Perth and went to Geelong. Matt Rose has got Italian heritage. Barra's got Italian heritage. Adrian Barrage. I know it's a Croatian name. Maybe his mum uh, would have had some Italian heritage. Uh, there's Alan Johnson, who played at Perth. Reese Conker, as we know, at Richmond and the Dockers. Tony Knott has got Italian heritage. Peter Sartori, who played at Swan Districts. Uh, Stephen Cornelio, Stephen Bazzo, the late Steve Bazzo. Uh, Matt Riggio from West Perth, correct? Jimmy, no? Swans, okay. Peter Amaranti. Brian Sicatosto, Sigo is there. Stan Magro, Peter Matera, Philip Matera, Wally Matera, Brandon Matera. Of course, the four Materas, all with Italian heritage. Warren Masconi, who played at South. Paul Vasoli, likewise, at South. And then there's Richard Ambrose, Alex Epis, John Georgiades, Luke Toyer, Mark Webb, Mark Zanotti, who played at Subi. Uh, Aaron Black is your West Perth, Jimmy. Have a listen to this. Aaron Black, has he got Italian heritage? The former West Perth captain. He's not captaining this year. Aaron Black has got Italian heritage. There you go. Giuseppe Franchi, that's Joe Franchi, Frank Margaria, Peter Managlio, Mark Miranda, Jack Polar, Guido Pozzi, William Reynoldi, and Bill Valley. All the, well, they used to be called the Garlic Munchers, so there's quite a few Italians in there. But as I said, uh, that's 50. And they'll be whittled down to 23 in May. Be interesting to see who is captain of the WA Italian team of the century. Who do you reckon will get the captain's armband for the Italian team of the century? Now, we used to call them something else when I was growing up. But we can't do it these days. It's a four-letter word. Started with D, but we can't do it anymore. 26 past five. You're with Peter Vlahos. Come and join us on the text machine, 0487 736 736. Who was the greatest Italian heritage player to play in the WAFL and even in the old VFL, AFL? Who do you think will be the captain of the Italian team of the century? We'll wait and see what transpires there. Also, give us your thoughts on the mid-season AFL trade that will be happening as of next year and whether you're comfortable with that as well. Come and join us. Uh, this is Sports Day WA. Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV, captivating appearance with state-of-the-art design. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Great to have you company here on Sports Day WA. We've got a few people uh, texting on the text line 0487 736 736. We'll get to those in a little while. We've got one, uh, actually, Nick, Nick Catalano, who reckons he should be in the Italian team of the century. Kicked many a goal for Raruna in his day. And, of course, uh, he played, I think, in the South Suburban Football League for a while. Uh, he reckons Dom Cassisi should be captain. And Brian Sigatosto, who played in that 1970 South Fremantle Premiership side, 
should be vice-captain. As we know, Dom Cassisi uh, cut out a, a fantastic career at the Port Adelaide Footy Club. But good on you, Paisano. Yep, uh, a couple of good names there. But let me tell you, it'd be pretty hard to whittle it down to 23 in total. As I mentioned, that big event is happening for the WA Italian Team of the Century. And uh, a couple of great names involved in the selection panel there as well. Four materials, and I gather most of them may get a nod as well. We'll come back to that in a moment. Nick Catalano will catch up uh, soon too. As I said, um, very proud of his heritage. And we've seen some great Italian players uh, go around uh, playing Australian rules football over the years. All right, let's go to rugby now because there are some major, major stories coming out of that code. And to discuss it with us is Mick Collis. Uh, Thanks for your time, Mick. Pete, always good to talk rugby with you. Uh, It is. Um, Would you believe, and I'll say this to our listeners, I've got you in Japan of all places. (laughs) I know you're having a bit of a holiday, but you're across rugby. Have you bumped into Eddie Jones by any chance? (laughs) No. Good point, though. Yeah, Eddie is over here after his his five-year contract with uh, Rugby Australia lasted about eight months. So... Yeah, he's over here now coaching the Japanese team, but haven't seen him, but I should uh, should look him up. <laughs> Let's talk about Super Rugby. It's not far away, and boy, oh boy, isn't there so much happening behind the scenes. The season gets underway literally in a couple of weeks' time, February the 23rd. We've got the force against the Hurricanes, but a lot of talk regarding the Rebels and the Brumbies, who, by the way, meet each other in round one. And the Melbourne Rebels in all sorts of trouble. Can they get out of it with... Uh, what is a, a sizable debt and some real issues? No, nah, Pete, the, the Rebels are gone. Uh, and look, it's a shame, but they've never really managed to, to get any sort of foothold in, in Melbourne. I think if you ask most people in Melbourne what the Rebels are, they'll say they're a bikey gang. And that, that's, that's kind of where they sit. You've got the Melbourne Storm, the rugby league team, one of the most successful rugby teams, rugby league teams in, in the history of the NRL. And, and people still don't really know who they are. That's it's an AFL town. It's never going to be anything other than an AFL town. People like it because it's got a, a big population. But in terms of the rugby and rugby uh, rugby league and rugby union, it doesn't work. And the rebels, they've just been a money pit since the moment they came in. And uh, now the rumours are that they're in debt to the tune of around fifth, between fifteen and twenty million dollars. Um, they've got no way of being able to, to pay that. So, yeah, they've entered voluntary administration and now Rugby Australia has now taken them over. So they now own them, but they're sick of bailing out the rebels. So I think at the end, well, they reckon that within about a month or so, they'll make a call on what's going to happen for 2025. The broadcast deal means they need to stay involved, certainly for this year. I think it was meant to be uh, for 2025 as well, but certainly they need to actually play this year because all the, as you spent, all the fixturing's being done and, it would be an embarrassment for Super Rugby if halfway through the season a team has, has to withdraw. So the Rugby Australia will prop them up for this year, but then after that, I reckon they'll cut them loose. And there's even been a bit of talk about the ACT Brumbies. Even though their chairman has come out today, Matt Nobbs, shutting down suggestions that the Super Rugby franchise is following the same path as the Rebels by heading into voluntary administration. My idea is there's never smoke with some fire. And I gather there's something going down at the ACT Brumbies, probably not as severe as the Rebels, however. No, look, I mean, the fact is all... Um, look, the, the, um, the Queensland Reds, they're OK now. They've had Ballymore has been redeveloped. So they've got a bit of an income stream coming through there. So they're OK. The Western Force are OK because we've got Twiggy Forest. So it's always handy to have a billionaire in your corner, which is fantastic. The New South Wales Waratahs, who are the main rugby state in Australia, they're, they're broke. 
So they're rugby straight at the start of the year. They want to do this um, this centralisation system. So the, the Waratahs had no money, so they're all in. They said, yep, Rugby Australia can now run us. So they're, they're cleared. Rugby Australia is looking after all the costs of the Waratahs. They went in, they wanted to try and get the Brumbies as well, but the Brumbies have kicked up a stink and said, no, you're not having us, because the Rugby Australia wanted their uh, intellectual property as well. So they basically wanted to to take over the Brumbies. And once Rugby Australia own these teams, that's when it becomes a bit scary. And we saw that with the Western Force in 2017. Rugby Australia owned the Western Force. So when there was talk about cutting a team, the only team they could cut was the Western Force, because that's the team that they owned. So they now own the Waratahs, and they're not going to ever sack them because that is the heartland of rugby. They wanted to get the Brumbies, but the Brumbies have, have dug their heels in. They now own the Rebels. They won't own Queensland, and they won't own the Western Force. So it, I think the Brumbies, and, and Rugby Australia wanted to come in and check out the Brumbies financials, and the Brumbies said, look, we're fine. They are in debt, but it's only to the tune of about $1.5 million. And that was a result of when the Western Force came back in Rugby Australia had to cut the funding to the other four teams to give some funding to the Western Force during COVID. And Rugby Australia told those teams that that money would come back after COVID. Now, with COVID, as far as I know, is gone, but that money has not come back. So the debt that the um, that the Brumbies have got is a result of Rugby Australia taking away some of their funding. They reckon that it's a loan, an interest-free loan, and they're under control, so they do not want to give Rugby Australia control of their thing. And, I, you know, I don't think they will. And, and the merge, they've come out and said, yeah, the merger's off the cards. I don't think the merger was, would work anyway. So I really think that we'll lose we'll lose Melbourne. And the only thing that they wanted about Melbourne was the fact it's it's a very big city. I'm not sure. Is it the biggest in Australia? It's either the biggest or the second biggest. It's a, but it's a big market in terms of population. But that population doesn't care about rugby. So I think that... And all the corporate stuff, the support's there for the AFL. I think there's, what, 15 or 16 AFL teams in Melbourne? Yeah. That's where corporates want to spend their money. They don't want to spend it... On a, on a side that no one knows about. So it's only really rugby corporate people that were supporting rugby. It's not your general sponsor that would like to get involved. So, and, and, you know, the only reason they're still with us is that the Victorian government gave Rugby Australia $20 million, which then helped pay out the, the Rebels' debt, because, and that guaranteed them, I think it was over a five-year period, to have test matches in Melbourne, which includes the British and Irish Lions, which comes in 2025. So the Victorian government, they paid a lot of money to guarantee those test matches, but they're not going to pay big money just to keep the Rebels afloat. So I really think that by the end of 2024, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of rugby players and a lot of support out of work. Interesting. Let's look at the Western Force finally. They won five games last season. Again, missed out on the finals. So what's your forecast for this coming season? Look, I think it'll be better. It's funny. So Simon Cron is the coach of the Western Force. He came in uh, for last year, but he inherited a team. So any new coach that comes in, and I think he was promised that he'd have a better list than what he actually got. So he's had 12 months. And for me, I was always going to give him 12 months just to find his feet in WA, get rid of the deadwood that he doesn't want, and recruit the sort of player that he does want. So he's had 12 months to do that. So I think the Western Force, they played a trial match against the Queensland Reds on the weekend. And again, it's a trial match, but it was an away win for the Western Force. They won um, all bar one game at home last year, didn't win a game on the road. So to go away up to Brisbane and win a game, even though it was a trial on the road, that's a really positive thing that the Western Force players will come back. Um, they've got a, a match on this weekend at, uh, at Revo Stadium at Claremont. I think they've recruited very well. Um, they've got you know Ben Donaldson, who was the starting number 10 in the end, 
at the Rugby World Cup, which was a disaster in its own. Nick White, the former Brumbies halfback, he's here for a couple of years as well. They've got some um, some some big names in terms of some hookers and 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 locks, and they're they're building depth, and that's always been a problem for the Western Force. They've had a pretty good first 15. Their, their run on 15's been good, but once they get some injuries, and, they, and you inevitably do during the season, they just didn't have the depth to then plug those gaps. And the, and the Western Force was almost like a second-grade team running around, and they never really res, re, achieved anything. But I think what Simon Cron's done and the way he's recruited, he's got a good mix of experienced players. He's got some good young guys that are coming through. So... Look, we're, we've been optimistic, Pete, since 2006 when the Western Force first started. But I think this year, I'm not going to say it's going to be our year, but it's certainly heading in the right in the right way. The trajectory is good, and they are improving as they go. And Simon Cron, this is his second year into a three-year contract, so I think they're only going to get better uh, under under Simon Cron and with the players that they've got. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident, Pete. Um, you know, I think it's the top eight they take into the final. So I really think that making that top eight finals will be the pass mark for the Western Force this year. Mick Collis, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the call, even though you're overseas at the moment. Enjoy the remaining days of your holiday with the family, and we'll talk to you again soon. As we know, the Super Rugby season not far away, commencing on February 23. Thanks for your time. Always a pleasure, Pete. Look forward to the next one. Cheerio. Yeah, good on you, Mick. Uh, Mick Collis joining us here on Sports Day WA. All thanks to Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, serving WA for over 45 years. As I said, come and join us anytime on the uh, text line 0487 736 736. And, of course, between 6 and 8 uh, tomorrow morning, you can catch uh, Scotty and Goss for SCNWA Breakfast. Uh, always a good start to the day. Uh, by the way, you can join the Red Army this NBL season. A big crowd there on Sunday afternoon to see... Damien Martin's jersey, number 53, retired. It was a special afternoon for everybody concerned with the Perth Wildcats. And unfortunately, they didn't perform on the court, but that's another issue. So you can join the Red Army this NBL season by becoming a Perth Wildcats member. Might be a good time to become a member as they head towards uh, the playoffs. Uh, so get involved with them. Bit of Speedway action coming up. Uh, and every now and then we will be uh, talking uh, Speedway. Uh, Speedway Nation slide into the world of dirt track Speedway. We've got our expert joining us next right here on Sports Day WA. Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV. Captivating appearance with state-of-the-art design. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yeah, great to have your company with uh, Peter Vlahos here on the Temper of Bedshed text machine. Norman Cowell says, G'day, Pete. Now, every Australian can see why Eddie Jones left Rugby Australia. They're a mob of fools. They would have to be the most incompetent board of any sport in the world and probably the same board that sacked Eddie Jones uh, in the first place. No wonder Australian rugby is going down the gurgler. Thanks for that, Norm, uh, for joining us here on uh, Sports Day WA. It's coming up 14 to 6. Let's talk a bit of Speedway now. And Speedway Nation is presented by Clay Purview and SRV Road Freight Services. Slide into the world of dirt track Speedway. And joining us is Chris Mitchell, the Perth Motorplex venue announcer and Speedway Nation. Hello. Thanks for joining us, Chris. 
G'day, mate. How are you? Good, good. Uh, let's talk a bit of Speedway. Uh, great spot, the Perth Motorplex, and you do an outstanding job out there. Uh, coming up this weekend is the Barber Gallo Mr Sprint Car Nationals. This Friday and Saturday night should be big. Yeah, it's going to be a massive one, mate. We've got a stacked entry list of uh, top flight drivers, not just from Western Australia, but all across the country, including all four of the previous Australian champions. We've got... Uh, Jamie Veal, Marcus Dumsney, Jock Goodyear, and newly crowned Australia number one, uh, Lachlan McHugh, all coming to Perth to race against the uh, West Australia's best, including current Maddington Toyota Sprint Car Series champion, James Inglis, who kind of took it to them on the East Coast for the Australian Championship, and now he's back on home soil, and they're racing for 30 thousand dollars to win on saturday night it's going to be huge that's huge uh, and this is one of the major draw cards of the season yeah this is said to be probably uh, our biggest event of the uh the speedway calendar uh just kicking off a massive two weeks for the festival of sprint cars we've got five nights of speedway racing across nine days uh running from this friday and saturday next wednesday we're racing on valentine's day going to be great uh, a great night at the skids to, to take your, your wife or your girlfriend or, or both uh, plus then the Friday and Saturday for the uh, the Cricky Boys shootout as well uh, with over $150,000 in prize money across five nights. It's going to be mega. So it's five nights of racing for the Festival of Sprint Cars. And is the Sprint Cars the most popular division at the moment? Uh, nationally, it's very easy to say they are. They they are the draw card. I mean, how can you really beat, you know, a, a power-to-weight ratio that's better than Formula One on a short track where you can see it all and the, the driving is just next level. It all comes down to, to guts and glory. It's kind of the, the last real gladiator sport. I, I know I sound like on Migro trying to reel that one out, but <laughs> it really is the last kind of sport like that where it really comes down to the drivers and their grit and determination. If you had to forecast a possible winner from what promises to be five exciting nights, which way are you leaning? Geez, it's hard to go past those those East Coast guys. I'd really like to think uh, we've got some hot West Aussies. I, I'd like to back in the likes of James Inglis and Callum Williamson, who's probably one of the fan favourites on the West Coast. But um, if I had to properly forecast a winner, I'd say Jock Goodyear. Okay, so we'll see what uh, comes of that. As I said, it all happens Friday and Saturday night. And by the way, let's talk about uh, Clay Purview. It's just started a new show podcast with SEN called Speedway Nation. And this monthly interview will be uh, with Jared Ash, who is one of the hosts and also a Clay Purview representative. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. It's cool that they, they are starting to really expand their coverage of a lot of Speedway, not just in Western Australia, but all across the country from, from the bigger city venues to the more regional venues and really putting that out to the, the greater masses of people. And it's part of this big push across the entire Speedway industry that has been uh, really big of late to try and push it out to the masses and it's paying dividends because look at the coverage we're getting. Yeah, and Chris, how long have you been the Perth Motorplex venue announcer? Uh, I've been with the Motorplex since 2019. I've been uh, announcing on Speedway uh, for the last two or three seasons and, and uh, only about six months ago I actually started working full-time in the office uh, managing marketing and special events. Good on you, mate. Well, good luck with it and it promises to be a, a fantastic weekend. Uh, the warm conditions uh, that are forecast for Perth won't affect, of course, the Speedway because it'll be a nice balmy night. you probably expect more people to come out and uh, get into the fresh well, air once the sun goes down. 
the benefit is we, we race in the evenings. We're right near the coast, so you get the Fremantle doctor coming through, cools things down. I can guarantee you any day of the week, if it's 35 degrees in the city, it's 30 degrees at the Motorplex, and it's always going to be nice weather. So I can't wait to see everyone coming down and enjoying a really nice night at the Speedway. Good on you. Thanks for joining us, uh, Chris. All the best. Mate. There you go, uh, Chris Mitchell joining us, and I'm not sure there's going to be a sea breeze actually on a Friday or a Saturday because the forecast for Friday is 41 degrees, uh, and yeah, in fact there will be a south to south westerly coming in during the afternoon, which is good. 41 on Friday, 41 on Saturday, and again. At that stage, there will be a southwester during the afternoon, which will cool things down just a fraction if you're on the coast. Just have a look at the forecast if you're just tuning in, just for interest. Tomorrow, 36 degrees, 39 for Thursday, Friday and Saturday, 41, Sunday, 39, Monday, 37, Tuesday, 36. And that is one whole weekend where the temperature will be over the 100 degree mark or very close to it for a whole week. What's 36 degrees in the old Fahrenheit? I think it's about 98. Maybe you can correct me on that. I think it's around about 98. I know 35 is about 95. Uh, so I think probably 36 is around about 98. I think 30, 96 it is, Jimmy. Thank you very much. He's very good, Jimmy. Got his finger on the pulse. 38 degrees, I think, is the old uh, 100 Fahrenheit. But it's going to be a very hot week, so um, make sure you look after yourself. Norman Cowell says, uh, go the Keen race team at Bunbury Speedway. Just uh, before I go, just updating some of the uh, sporting news uh, that has been going down for Nutrien Ag Solutions, going further for Australian farmers. Uh, Melbourne AFL player Clayton Oliver has been fined $600 but avoided conviction for driving a car while his licence was suspended in an incident described by the judge as stupid. The Melbourne Magistrates Court heard Oliver's licence was suspended on medical grounds from November 10 last year after he suffered a seizure in October. As we know, he's a four-time club champion. He returned to training alongside his teammates in January after taking an extended break to manage personal uh, issues. Even though the cricket today was pretty disappointing, that is the ODI between Australia and the West Indies with the West Indies out for 86 and Australia getting those runs uh, literally in quick time. I'm very intrigued in the India versus England test series. Five tests, it's now level at one all and that's after Ashwin and Boomerah claimed three wickets apiece and bowled India to a series level victory with a 106 run win over England in the second test that finished last night. So oh, we're heading uh, now to the third test and it should be an absolute beauty. Uh, Central Coast extended its unbeaten A-League run to 12 matches but missed the chance to move to the top of the A-League later today in Wellington. It was a public holiday in Wellington today, or in fact in New Zealand, and needing a win uh, to leapfrog the first place Phoenix. The Mariners were held to a nil or draw by the hosts. Uh, it was uh, Watangi Day, which is the big national holiday there in New Zealand today. And finally, Red Bull are investigating complaint against their Formula One team boss, Christian Horner. Uh, the Times newspapers reported that Horner has been accused of inappropriate behaviour by a female colleague who complained to the team's parent company.
Horner has denied any wrongdoing and the complaint is allegedly about his aggressive management style. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Jimmy. That has been Sports Day WA for this Tuesday. I'll be back again tomorrow straight after the run home with Hayes and Marto. Then on between 3 and 5, Sports Day, Monday to Thursday, between 5 and 6, right here on SENWA. Have a good night. We'll catch you tomorrow.